At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. I have to be honest with you guys, I am not the most organized person in the world. I'm not the most disorganized person either. Um, we had Andrew Greaves on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And if you guys ever seen his van, my God, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like HVAC porn. It's like drool material. You drool over how organized his van is. My van's not that organized. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because when it comes to guests on the podcast, I don't book these guests weeks ahead of time. I just don't have the time to do that. I, I kind of work under under the gun uh, most of the time. And I've actually cold called a couple of guests. I did it with Mike Mayberry. I'm like, hey, you want to be on the podcast today? He said, sure. Um, HVAC reefer guy, you guys know him as. He was on the podcast uh, about a month ago. Now, the guest on today's podcast is Rocky Hyatt. I messaged him on Instagram yesterday because we recorded the interview yesterday, uh, last night. I messaged him in the morning and he's like, yeah, man, I'm honored. Let's get on it. So we recorded an interview last night and man, I'm going to tell you something right now. You guys need to pay attention. Rocky is one intelligent man in this trade. He really, really is. He rhymes off things at the top of his head. I'm not good at doing that. I got to write stuff down and, and think about stuff, but he was just going off and we're going to get to the basics. We're going to talk about some basic stuff. Go back to the basics of maintenance, electrical refrigeration. We're going to talk about all of that intertwined in a one interview. So you guys listen up to Rocky, uh, good stuff coming up. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Let's get into a little bit of tool talk here. Um, I wanted to bring up the fact that Testo Smart Probes for critically charged systems are fantastic because what happens when you put um, your refrigerant hoses on a system, they, what if they're six feet long? Well, you're going to suck out some of that gas. You can put some of that back in if you equalize your pressures afterwards, but you don't get it all back in. And imagine doing this year after year after year after year on a system that doesn't have any leaks. Well, you're going to pull a substantial amount of gas out of that system over the course of time, especially if you're checking that system for proper operation. It's not going to be proper after a, a bunch of years of sticking gauges on it. So Tesla Smart Probes do not use a lot of gas. The space between the fitting and where the sensor sits very, very small, very, very small space. Takes very little gas to pressurize that sensor to read a pressure. Also, the temp clamps that come with the refrigeration set are perfect for checking superheat quickly, subcooling quickly, and are ridiculously good at checking temp drop across dryers. I don't know how many dryers I've diagnosed as being restricted or partially blocked with the Testo Smart Probe temp clamps. Now, if you are using hoses and a manifold, what you need to do on a regular basis is change the seals in your hoses. Very, very important because once the seals go, they're not going to seal properly. It can actually start to restrict gas flow if that seal kind of crunches onto itself. Um, Yellow Jacket has a sweet pick. Pick is, is great for getting into your hose and getting those old gaskets out, those old seals out. Um, it's got a little Schrader core um, remover on it, and it's also got a hollow shaft that you can put spare gaskets or spare seals in. It's a great little tool. And we get on refrigeration technologies here. We've got to bring up Nylog because 
Um, when I change out those seals, what I do is I fill that little gap in the hose just a little bit, rub it around with some nylog because it's also an assembly lubricant, also being a thread sealer. Um, but you put a little bit in there, it keeps that, that uh, seal from drying out. Um, and it keeps it free from, from the, the friction of rubbing against the inside of that hose. And it prevents the wear and tear on it. So change your seals, use the yellow jacket pick, and use some nylog um, inside of there. Now, guys, from what I'm hearing, there's a bunch of you guys um, putting into your Armstrong pumps into the contest. This is the... Um, spot armstrong equipment program that armstrong launched that i'm i'm getting you guys to participate in what i want you to do though is it asks for some information um make sure you have permission from whomever they're asking the information from like the building owner or the engineer or the on-site maintenance staff get in get 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 that permission from that person before you um provide that info just so it doesn't come back on you later all right but once you do Get your pumps entered for a $20 Amazon gift card. Go to Armstrong Fluid Technology forward slash HVAC know it all to get hooked up on that. And guys, if you have five pumps, 10 pumps in a building, do the math, you're going to get the $20 gift certificates that add up to the amount of pumps that you find. Um, Field Pulse, again and always, 14 day free trial at fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all. We get the paper off our desk, off our dashboard, off our center console in our truck, off the passenger seat. Great thing to have. Go paperless. Get into the future because the future is coming. And if you're not on board with it, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. Um, cool Air products. Again, guys, you need to check out AC Smart Seal External and AC Smart Seal Quick Shot. They are great truck stock items to have. Non-clogging, quick shot, oil-based, doesn't clog up gauges, doesn't clog up systems. I've tried it. It works. I know it works. And if you guys have seen my video on YouTube, you've seen my AC Smart Seal external video and how it can seal a leak. A actually, a very substantial size leak that I made with a 5-16 inch screw using my impact gun into the copper pipe. So check that stuff out, guys. That's from Cool Air Products. Um, as always, guys, True Tech Tools, 8% off any tool purchase in the store besides Fluke or FLIR. Get on top of that Testo stuff with preferred Testo pricing. Go to my website, hvacknowitall.com. Scroll down to the homepage, the True Tech Tools logo. All right, click on it. Answer the questions. Tell them HVAC know it all sent you. Sign into your True Tech Tools account. Get preferred Testo pricing. What's up, guys? I got Rocky on the phone, and um, I cold called him today. Well, I didn't call him. I messaged him on Instagram um, because we've talked back and forth on that platform a few times, and I can tell the man is very passionate about what he does in this industry. Right, Rocky? You're a passionate guy in this trade. Absolutely. So we wanted to come up with a topic and it was Rocky's idea to go back to the basics. Now the basics is where that's where it all begins for everybody. And if we lose sense of the basics, we're going to get lost altogether. Right? Exactly. I mean, you know, the basics is the foundation. And if you don't have a good foundation, your house is going to sink. So we definitely need to get back to the basics. Yeah, we do. So let's start off by, um, talking a little bit about you and, and, and what you do. Cause I know that you've told me, um, and I think you might even said it in your message today that you drive hours upon hours just to go, um, deal with a customer's issue. Is that, is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> well, it's all started with me, you know, in the late nineties, uh, I started out doing heat and air conditioning, uh, got a, got a uh, invite to uh, help uh, put heat and air conditioning in a church. It was a church that I was going to at the time, and uh, I was helping the local technician. And, you know, one thing led to another. I, I really liked the, the trade, so uh, I asked him if, if they were hiring. And sure enough, they were. So, you know, helpers helpers position opened up, and 
next thing you know, I, I was in the trade. And I started working for one of the largest uh, mechanical companies in the southeastern part of the United States. And uh, I learned a lot from them. I started out in pipe fitting, uh, doing some duck work, and uh, doing a lot of uh, crazy stuff. We were doing all commercial industrial stuff, design builds. So uh, I learned a lot of stuff at that point in time. And then everything just, uh, you know, went on from there. So. Here we so, are, 20 years later. So I got to tell, I got to tell everybody that you and I have spoken online a few times. Nothing major, just like little comments back and forth on Instagram. We've never actually talked, and I did this on purpose so Rocky and I could have this kind of organic and natural conversation. And you guys are going to be part of this process because we're going to start learning about each other as this conversation goes on. So. What I was going to ask you, your your handle on IG, is that the company you work for? Is that your own company? Do you own it? Like, how, how does it work for you? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's my own company. Uh, I've been self-employed for, uh, I don't know, nine years now. Good for you. Family-based company. And, uh, well, thank you. And, uh, of course, it consists of my wife and, of course, my father. And we have a few employees, too, as well. Uh, we do a lot of uh, national account work. Uh, basically, uh, large corporations that have uh, sites throughout the country. That's the reason why I do a lot of traveling. I don't really have any maintenance contracts per se, um, but I do have a lot of energy management contracts. I've been building energy management for only 14 years. Nice. And uh, how I got started in that, well, thank you. How I got started in that was uh, I was picked up by Honeywell back in 2000, I don't know, 2004 somewhere around that area. And uh, they, they had a, quite a few uh, jobs coming up in the area that I was living at the time, which was NASCAR country. And uh, I was doing a lot of work for NASCAR drivers and team owners and chiefs and what have you. But uh, I got picked up by Honeywell. We had a, quite a few uh, national account prospects that were coming up at the time. And uh, um, several, of, several of the national accounts came from uh, – the Charlotte area of North Carolina. So, um, basically, I just uh, fell in there with Honeywell and uh, went around and installed, you know, over 3,000 energy management systems throughout the entire country. And uh, a lot of national accounts have uh, basically subsided uh, from uh, a lot of their maintenance work and stuff like that and issued a lot of it to us uh, along the way. So, don't have maintenance contracts, but we do maintenance work. Uh, whenever it's necessary cool so what so what city are you based out of like where's your office <clears throat> well we're based out of uh, a little small town in arkansas uh, it's called mountain view arkansas and it's a little dot on the map it's uh, not much to it we're about two hours from any major city so uh, but i have an office that uh, my father works out of in north carolina so we have two offices and we have few employees but nothing major so but, you uh, everything we do is travel so you do mostly commercial stuff you're not doing any residential right uh, i do some residential for high-end clients and stuff like that uh, yeah i mean homes but uh most of it's uh commercial like commercial and industrial so we get into a lot of uh, uh malls and strip malls and uh, we get into a lot of uh you know uh large uh, shopping areas and complexes and stuff like that. So that's what we're basically doing. We do a lot of integration too, as well, with our controls. So cool. So do you have a lot of competition out there for what you guys do, or or is it kind of you got the market to yourself type thing? Well, there's a, there's always competition, but um, the traveling is what sets us apart. So yeah, you know. And one reason why I chose Arkansas or the central part of the United States uh, was because, you know, it's a one-day trip just about anywhere in the southern part of the United States where we service. So, you know, we can't fly. We can't really carry all of our, carry all of our tools and stuff on airplanes. So, you know, the stuff that we need for what we do. So we really have to drive and being based in that area was uh, pretty central to what we were doing. So. So you're driving, you're driving, um, I think you were saying in your message, like 12, 14 hours, sometimes one way just to, uh, oh, yeah, just, yeah. yeah, that's, that's nuts, man. Yeah. So, so they actually pay you for that travel time, your customer. Oh yeah. Do yeah, they? Yeah. Wow. They, they, yeah, they pay for it. Um, 
Uh, well, you know, the thing is, you know, you get what you pay for, and, and they know that. These large corporations, they know that. So I'm not, I'm not greedy, but we are fair, and we do provide a service, and, and we, we try our best not to have any callbacks. So we do a lot of things that most technicians wouldn't do or couldn't do as far as money scope-wise with the customer's money, but we have a little bit of freedom in that area to do go above and beyond so um, so we can prevent some of those callbacks. So, so um, that's where we're at on that. Yeah, so for me, um, a company, uh, a corporation that's 12, 14 hours away from where I am, they would probably use someone, lo- someone local. So the fact that they're paying you to drive that far out to their location tells me that you guys do some damn good work. That, that, that's what that tells me, and that's what should tell everybody that's listening to this. Well, I don't, I don't like to, you know, pump myself up or anything like that or, you know, be the center of attention. So, you know, we'll just leave it at that. You can think what you want to think, but, uh, you know, we try to do the best. And uh, like I said, you know, if you do the best at what you do, then people are not going to question. And after a while, you build relationships and, and you build trust. And, and that's where we're at with, with our national counseling. We're on a first name basis, and uh, uh, they know my number when I call. They've got caller ID. They know my number. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they don't want to answer, so sometimes I have to turn my caller ID, show my caller ID off on my phone, so they will answer. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So that's where we're at with that as well. But yeah, we we do pretty good work. We we try to. But like I said, I don't want to pump pump ourselves up. Like I said, you know. If it wasn't for where I got started and how I got started, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Uh, you know, doing the pipe fitting, doing the duck work, work for these large corporations. When I when I first started, six months in, Green Tech, they sent me all over the world, and I worked on a piece of equipment called uh, Seasonal Heat Pump, uh, which was base, basically a bunch of O6Es with some reversing valves, a lot of pneumatics and electronic to pneumatic controllers and pneumatic to electronic controllers and starters and you know and six months into it i was working on that stuff and this is back before internet and google so you know you couldn't you had a manual there but uh you couldn't come home until it was fixed so yeah i wanted to come home so i learned a lot by you know taking those jobs and taking that opportunity and you know sometimes you just can't be scared you just got to go out there and do it get your hands into it elbow deep so you, you know you know what you learn yeah and you know what's crazy i'm thinking back when you said you, you hit a you hit a point with me there when you said no google no internet i remember when i first started in the trade um they just went the company i started with they just went to the two-way radio like they had pagers mm-hmm. they had pagers before that so um oh yeah so I'm thinking that I'm, I'm learning this stuff. I'm on a roof. I have no internet. I can't Google a manual. I can't um, get on to all of these uh, social media uh, chat groups and ask questions. And I got a two-way radio that everybody in the company can hear. It's not just one guy to the next guy. It's, it's an open mic system, right? <laughs> so oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're getting on the mic and asking what you think is a stupid question, you know everybody's going to hear it. So you try to avoid that. So you're, <laughs> you're stuck fixing the unit by yourself. I remember the first unit I fixed. It was a York rooftop. It was a, a no heating call. I spent all day on this, and I went back back and forth to York, which was about an hour away, three times, three times. Cause I thought, oh, it was, wow. I thought it was this. It wasn't, I thought it was that it wasn't. And then I'm like, it's gotta be that. <laughs> and I finally fixed it. And it was the first unit ever I fixed. And I was so goddamn happy with myself. It was unbelievable how happy <laughs> I was proud of myself. Well, you I was, should I, have been. Yeah. I felt like a champion and, and I did it cause I did it by myself with no help. And it was awesome. Well, that builds it. confidence. You yeah. Know, that builds that, that type of learning builds confidence. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in that as well. But, you know, also, too, with the technology we have today, you know, these guys really need to take advantage of it as much as possible as well. Yes, you uh, do. I believe in that. Too. It, it's, it's in your hands. Uh, you, you might as well take advantage of it, right? Why not? Exactly. Exactly. I remember you just hit a chord with me. I remember, as you spoke about your first repair, I remember doing my first repair on a train package and it was basically the same situation, except I was working on the economizer portion of it. And, uh, you know, I was so scared about that unit. I, I thought I had it fixed and 
I was pretty sure I had it fixed. I went home and I had bad dreams. I got up about two or three o'clock in the morning and drove out there on my own time just to make sure it was working. But uh, wow, you know, that's that's a commitment. Those days, <laughs> that's, yeah. com- that's commitment, you know, man. I'm telling you, but you know, those days, man, we didn't have all that we have now, and uh, so, but you know, sometimes I kind of wish we went back to those days, but sometimes, but most of the time, I thank God we don't. <laughs> so, but uh, everybody, anyway. everybody should take something out of what you just said. The fact that you were working on an economizer, there are texts um, around North America that ignore them because they're scared of them. Um, oh, yeah. but, but, but they, sh- they shouldn't, they should, they should go tackle it and figure it out. You went back at three, go- <laughs> at three in the morning to check the damn thing. And <laughs> if everybody in this trade ha- had drive like that, we would all, be we, we'd all be put up on pedestals man we'd all we the, the repairs out there would would all be phenomenal we wouldn't have uh oh, yeah. we wouldn't have websites like hvac hacks because everybody would be doing their best right so well, my my old boss man told me one time he said here's your keys to your trunk and this is before i actually went you know traveling over the world he said if you have any problems call me and uh about two months later you know, about the time on-call rotation rolled around, I got it. And it was the first time I ever went on the call. And I got a call to a golf course, and I went out there on a Sunday about 2 o'clock. And, uh, and it just so happened that I was working on you. I can't remember the reason why I called, but I called my boss. And I was like, well, you told me to call you, and I'm down here working on the golf course. He said, well, you should have been working at the golf course I'm at. And he hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> So I called him back. I thought he might have, might have lost a phone call, or what have you, and, and uh, he he hung up on me again. I was like, okay, well that's my answer. <laughs> so I had to fix it. <laughs> but uh, wow. You know, so, so that's the way it was back back then. Technicians they didn't want to share information with you. They didn't want to help you. You know, you you were basically thrown to the wolves. You know, you got your feet wet and your ankles wet and your neck wet, you know, all the way up to your chin. So. Yep. You, sh- you, sh- you sure did. But it makes, it makes for, it's a very stressful time. I, I, I had a very stressful apprenticeship, but you come out of it at the end um, way better for it. Like uh, every time, I don't think I'd want to do my apprentice the way I see apprentices doing their apprenticeship. Now I wouldn't want to do it that way. I think I'd want to go back to that three three and a half to four year period where I was just so stressed. Um, but I learned mm-hmm. so, but now, now it's like, now I don't have any, if there's a service call, Hey, Gary, can you go look at this 200 ton chiller? I'm like, cool, let, let's go. Like, I, I'm not scared yeah. of it anymore because I'll just, I'll go there and I'll, I don't care. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't have enough, like my pride isn't built up where enough where I'm going to not going to read a manual. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it all boils down to it, Gary. Yeah. You know as much as I do. It's all wind and water when it comes yeah. down to it. It's the same yeah. principle, whether it's a two-ton or 200-ton. Yeah, exactly. exactly. There might be some more bells and whistles on it, but, I mean, uh, you, you tackle those as you come to them. So, any, any, anyway, oh, yeah. let's. We, we wanted to talk about the basics. So, if a tech is just starting out, or if, if a mm-hmm. tech that – has been in the trade for a while and and hasn't really learned the basics the way they should. What what should they start with? Let let's say start with refrigeration. Basic refrigeration. Well, well, uh, I, before you can even talk about refrigeration or refrigerant or anything like that nature, we need to talk about the components. You know, there's four major components, and of course, you know what those are. Yeah. And uh, I'm hoping that the people listening knows knows what those four major components are. Well, in order for you to be able to talk about anything refrigerant-wise, you need to make sure that those four major components are working properly. That means clean coals, clean filters, proper airflow. You know, those have to be addressed before you can even think about looking at the refrigerant charge whatsoever, or even adjusting it. If you make any adjustments to a system that's got a dirty condenser or a dirty evaporator, you're pissing in the wind. Yes, it's yeah. gonna get all over you. Absolutely correct. So, so the basics is, you know, those four major components, as long as they're operating properly, and you get past that point, then you can start worrying about superheat, subcooling approach, and all everything else that goes along with refrigeration. But uh, another thing, too, as well, the biggest things that I see all over the country is dirty condensers, dirty evaporators, uh, inoperable economizers. Uh, I see... Uh, 
bad wiring a lot, bad electrical wiring, bad low voltage control wiring, bad wiring, period. Uh, you know, uh, I see a lot of uh, low voltage issues throughout the country. I see, you know, thermostats, that's another big one. People are putting Mickey Mouse residential uh, thermostats on uh, like commercial units, not understanding cycles per hour and uh, how a thermostat algorithm actually works. You know, and it's just, it's numerous things getting back to the basics. Water is a big issue as well. Getting that water out of that unit, getting away from that curb, or getting that water out of that unit and getting away from that house or whatever you're working on. Oh, yeah. So, but no. Totally agree. And and, uh, and 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 plug condensate drains are are massive, um, especially in in very like we live in a like I live in Toronto and and it's it's way north than than where you are, but it's considered a very humid area. Um, and mm-hmm. if we we have a period of like uh, two weeks of humidity in the summer, you can you can bet your ass you're going on a a service call for a plug drain. So if we go back oh, to yeah. the, if we go back to the basics of preventative maintenance um checking your drains um even on rooftops taking the p-traps out banging them out getting that that sludge out that mud that dirt whatever that could save a disaster and save you from getting out of bed at like i've gotten out of bed for a rooftop at two in the morning believe it or not (laughs) at at a um it was uh it was an office building right and the security uh, it was 24-7 security, and the security's walking around doing their rounds, and they see this desk mm-hmm. has, a, has a puddle on it, right? So he calls us. Mm-hmm. Instead of putting a bucket, he calls us because he doesn't know, and we go out there, and it's it's a plug drain on a uh, pl- plug P-trap on a rooftop unit. So mm-hmm. so I call my boss at 2 in the morning and tell him because that's the way he was. He was kind of a uh, micromanager, and he wanted to know everything. So he had me on that roof. This was a massive roof with about – 50 rooftops on it 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 was a huge building so he had me well you better check them all then (laughs) oh wow it's two in the morning it's two in the morning and he wants me to check all the p-traps on all the rooftops dump them all out i'm like wow so it it, it didn't take me that long because it takes like half a second to grab take it out and bang it and and that's why i hate when guys glue them in place because then you can't take them out oh yeah drives me insane anyway what what about ele- what about electrical as as an approach to your your troubleshooting method a- as a new tech? Well, um, the best advice I can give a new tech is you know when you get that call, don't read into it no more than what you have to. You know you're going to get um, a list of symptoms. You you may not even get that from a call, but. You know, you're going to get a little bit of information, but don't be reading into it more than you have to. Don't be assuming things on the way to the call. Yeah. You know, once you assume things, then you put yourself in that mindset that that's what the problem is. and You automatically put on blinders. And when you get to that call, you go straight for that device that you assume is wrong and you miss everything else around, everything else around you. Now, one thing I really want the young techs to understand is that when you come to that call, and try to get a practice of this, you know, step outside, take a moment, take a breath, and take a look at that house or that business. Look at the outside, the facade, look at the entrance. You know, just try to take in as much as you can. And then go talk to the customer. Secondhand information is terrible, especially when it's coming from dispatch. Yeah. You know, go talk to the customer, get firsthand information. Get them to show you where the problem is, what they're, what they're experiencing, and the reason for the call, and and then, then go to the controls. Now, the controls aspect of it, I mean, the, the thermostat, that, that, is, that is the biggest key. Uh, I see a lot of stuff missed on thermostats. Yep, uh, you know. I, I agree with you. I was just at a site the other day that still had mercury bulb thermostats. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of them was, you know, I could, I mean, I'm, I'm not a level reader, but uh, I don't have a level in my eyeballs, but you can tell. <laughs> that this guy was way out of whack. And, you know, that temperature swing and anticipators, a lot of people don't even know what anticipators are. And uh, some of the customers that have uh, mercury bulb thermostats, you know, the anticipators have never been set up on them for the heat and what have you. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to look at. But, you know, take that firsthand information, open your eyes, don't assume anything, and then just try to take it all in. We should, pro- we should probably yeah. talk talk about that heat, heat anticipator for a second because I remember um, 
back back uh, all these stories keep coming back to me and and, and the fear that i used to have <laughs> uh, of my boss but i remember going up to um uh, about an hour and a half north of of our office there's no heating call and the rooftop um it was working but it kept cycling it was it would run for a minute mm-hmm. and then it would be off for five run for and and i thought it was something to do with the limit maybe or my boss is like did you check the the um the heat anticipator and i'm like what's that right <laughs> I, I i i knew what it was kind of because i learned about it in school but we just touched on it i'm like what what do you mean by heat anticipator he's like well in the thermostat mm-hmm. it is set up right so i wanted to ask you how do you set your heat anticipators up man I, it's been so long i used to take a piece of wire wrapped around my amp probe i think it's 10 times to take an amp reading and then um, divide it and and change the anticipator from there. If I remember correctly, the most time I run across anymore, I just take them off the wall and put up a new digital thermostat. And if it's some commercial business, I'll make sure I put up something so, that's got cycles per hour where I can program cycles per hour. In. So are you taking um, taking the amp draw of the heating circuit or the gas valve? I usually do it at the thermostat. I don't know if it's oh, you do it at the thermostat? Okay, cool. Because yeah. the, the, there's there's been different ways that i've heard of guys doing this one way is just taking the 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 amp draw uh rating right off the gas valve um some people that some people i've talked to take an amp draw at the gas valve and some people take an amp draw of the whole heating circuit so they're probably all probably all very close in, in, in each other you know what i mean well, like I said, what I always did was just took a long piece of wire and, and you know, jumped it out and wrapped it around my meter 10 times and whatever the amp reading was, I yeah. divided by 10. And yeah, divided by 10. That was a yeah. true reading of what the appliance was actually pulling. Yeah. Now I would give it I would give it a shade more than what, what the reading was, but other than that, I mean, but you're talking, you know, that's 12 years ago or better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Last time I set up a heat anticipator. Oh, oh yeah, a long, long long time ago you know you know what i actually yeah. um we had a where a couple of warehouses and um sorry mm-hmm. we had four warehouses this is a story about um mercury bulb thermostats so we had four warehouses pretty much all identical and they all had mm-hmm. lennox lennox unit heaters along the dock okay <laughs> yeah. and and uh two of the buildings had electronic stats okay and two of the buildings had mercury bulb stats and mm-hmm. the two the two buildings and i never caught on to this for a couple of years, right? Um, the two buildings that had the mercury stats, every year I'd find at least three or four heat exchangers about six inches into the burner, um, like one, <laughs> you, mostly, mostly one burner, like mostly one tube, sometimes two, would have a crack around, around the actual tube of the heat exchanger, not like on the seam, but around it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was very, mm-hmm. very hard to notice. It almost looked like a, a piece of hair that was on it. We had to get in there and actually stick something, open it up to make sure it was a crack. And yep, it was. So every year, three or four of these heaters uh, had had bad heat exchangers. And after a while, I'm like, hey, how come the, the, the buildings with the electronic stats do not have cracks in their heat exchangers ever and it was because the goddamn heat anticipators were short cycling the unit heaters causing, mm-hmm. causing exactly. the, the heat exchangers to heat up uh cool down heat up and cool down crack. yeah exactly yeah that's exactly what it was i'm glad you reminded yep. me of that because that, that that was a good story i've seen that before well the moral of the story is you know if you see a mercury bulk thermostat get rid of it get get rid of it get rid of it yeah the electronic stats had built-in time delays that allowed it to cool right down Mm -hmm. and not 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 start back up while it was you know what i mean while it was going that process of cooling down so Mm -hmm. awesome i i you know like i said you know the the job i was at the other day that had the thermostats on it you know there was several techs had been there and nobody offered that yeah nobody offered to even level that one mercury belt thermostat that's why i'm getting back at the basics you know a lot of guys are leaving money on these jobs yeah. You know, uh, it doesn't hurt to pick up the phone and call dispatch or your service manager and say, look, this is what I found, and then have them call the customer uh, or you talk to the customer and try to do what's right for the customer at that point in time. There, there was no sense in technicians leaving the job with the mercury belt thermostat, you know, one inch out of level, and even leaving the mercury belt thermostats on the, on the wall in 2018. So, you know. 
Yeah, it's very rare I come across them now. I, I think there there's still a couple of buildings out there I know that, that, that have some. And we've also dabbled into the um the controls a bit, the automated stuff. We we have a uh not an account, but we're a dealer with reliable controls or in uh Vancouver BC. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I'm familiar with them. Yeah, and, and, and we purchased their stuff and and we inside I used to do a little bit of it and I was not a huge fan of trying to learn code. Do you do you write code, Rocky? Yeah, I write code. Yeah, yeah. I write code a lot. Yeah. Do you do you enjoy it, or did you find it very difficult to to learn and wrap your head around well, it first? Much anymore. I basically I've got most of my codes already built over the years, so I'll just basically copy and paste anymore. Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> and then I'll add a couple. I'll add a couple forward slashes to uh, exclude something, and take forward slashes away to to include something. So. Uh, basically, I keep generic code written that does mostly everything I, I need to do, and I just uh, exclude it or include it in my programming. So I just copy and paste. But, so uh, that's for, what I do. So for a guy getting into controls, um, because, or, or, or I got to keep saying this, or a girl, because <laughs> there's female tech <laughs> coming in. Um, but if for a tech coming into controls at the very, very basic level, what advice? do you have for them as they're getting started out? Wow. Well, that's a, that's a good question there. Um, you know, I really, really would have to advise that the guy or girl that's thinking about getting, getting into controls to really, um, not necessarily master, but try to get to the point where air conditioning or refrigeration or refrigeration cycle and the theory of thermodynamics actually clicks get to the point where you understand uh, the theory thereof and uh, where it's like second nature. Now, before you can control anything, you need to know how it's supposed to operate. Man. So that'd be you, the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, man, like that, that is my biggest pet peeve of a controls guy. They, they know, they know how to write code and they know their program off like the back of their hand, but they don't know how an air conditioner works, how a refrigeration unit works, how a heating unit works. They have no idea. Mm -hmm. And you try to explain yeah, to them, I, I, you try to explain to yeah, them, like I, while you're sitting beside them, hey, we can't have the both compressors coming on on a two-stage unit at the same time. We have to stage these on. <laughs> but that's the way it's always worked, and that's the way I've always done it. Well, like, you need to learn how these machines work before you can program them, right? Oh, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, and, you know, getting back to where we were talking about me traveling, you know, that that in itself basically sets uh, us apart, and that's the reason why people do pay us to travel, because we know both cycles, and they know when we leave that it's going to be right. Um, we do the best we can, or I try to do the best I can. I, I'm just speaking for myself, but uh, we, we all have the same mentality, but... Uh, you got to know how to how the how the stuff is supposed to operate and how it operates before you can control it and you know and, and if you're getting into controls you know first and foremost you need to understand algorithms uh, you need to understand the difference between a residential thermostat and commercial thermostat and understand why there's a difference and understand economizers and the controls thereof and economizers you know you really need to get your feet wet in all different kinds of units. Uh, equipment, makeup air units, uh, boilers, you know, chillers, you know, not necessarily big chillers, but you can get in, involved with little small chillers like filtering chillers and what have you. Uh, understand uh, about fan coil units. You know, <clears throat> if you got that kind of knowledge and, and you build on that foundation, you can be a good controls person. Uh, just, you know, get involved with some controls and uh, go to some classes and try to take in as much as possible but controls are never going to click for you if you don't understand the theory of refrigeration and yep. conditioning. yeah you're right um i wanted to go back for that um what you were saying there the difference between residential and commercial uh stats as far as mm -hmm. algorithms go could you could you explain that a little bit more as, as what you were saying there well uh, there's there's several parts to it man commercial i don't know how it is in canada or many many of the states in the united states uh every state has its own jurisdiction they have their own codes and some of them adopt the state legislation adopts different books uh, but it basically boils down to in the states uh, we have a manual j calculation which is residential calculation and 
and uh, the commercial we have a manual end calculation mm-hmm. and uh, the reason why we have two different ones is because they're two different animals uh, so you can't take a thermostat from a residential job and put it on a commercial job because of the simple fact of the algorithms and the cycles per hour. And cycles per hour is how many times that unit is allowed to come on and out. Yep. And, and yep. thermostats are self, self-learning. They know how your system responds to the temperature, and they'll actually you know, keep that thermostat or keep that unit running longer or less, depending on how your building responds uh, to your desired set point. So... Um, if you got two different calculations, the manual J and the manual N, you should have two different thermostats, you know, uh, and we do have them, but it's just, you know, I see it a lot and, uh, you know, a residential thermostat is basically for comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, commercial is basically, uh, wanting to get to set point, uh, in an energy saving, uh, manner. So, but, uh, you know, the cycles per hour is the biggest deal, uh, that I see. Uh, the difference between both, and also the commercial thermostats too can also control your economizer, so you can use that feature as well. Yeah, uh, there's you know, it's unlimited, so I mean, the economizer feature is great. Uh, I've I've had to use it quite a few times, so yeah, and like we said, <laughs> techs that are ignoring economizers that get get into those man, rip those apart, and find out how they work because they are in, in, in my area, economizers need to run a lot of the times because if we are we're in an office space and it, it's an internal office space in the middle of the winter it needs to be cooled mm-hmm. and instead of bringing on oh, the yeah. compressors open open the damper to the outside man and just let that let that cold air in and 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 boom you're saving yourself a whack of dough right yeah well i i, I want to add to what we we're talking about the difference between residential commercial thermostats you know there's a few calculations that you can throw in your toolbox uh, and one I use quite a bit uh, when I'm dealing with a light commercial building especially if I have a building that I think may be short on tonnage is uh, I'll take a measurement of the uh, square footage you know I'll take the length versus width and um, then I'll multiply that by the height and try to get up my cubic footage and then I'll take that number my cubic foot of air in that building, I'll take that number and multiply it by 1.5. So I'm looking for one and a half air changes per hour. And I'll take that number and divide that. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of the math here. I'll take that number and divide that uh, and uh, figure out my tonnage. So basically, a 5,000 square foot building that's unfurnished with no heat load is going to be bringing around, requiring around seven and a half tons. And I'll work off of that and count my lights and uh, how much traffic and how much uh, infiltration I'll have, how many doors they've got, how much square footage the doors are, and try to figure out how many times. And that, that'll give me a good number of whether my building's short on tonnage. Now, you take into consideration that you've got those other changes per hour and you've got those cycles per hour, and you put that thermostat on that equipment, you're going to give that customer the best advantage they're going to have of energy savings by having that commercial thermostat with those cycles per hour. And they are adjustable. So you can adjust them for comfort or for energy conservation. Yeah. Now, uh, another thing to consider as well is, you know, I just did this on a site the other day. I uh, took a hint and draw how much uh, power consumption their lights were using versus their air conditioning and, uh, if you drew a circle and drew a T in the middle of it, you'll end up with four slices. Well, one one of those slices was lights. Can you imagine what the other three slices were? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to have to tell me. <laughs> Rooftop unit one yeah. and three. Wow. So three-fourths of their energy consumption was their air conditioning. Wow. So Crazy. you take that... You take that that figure right there, and, yeah. you, and you did the math on that. You stop and think about the cycles per hour versus three versus six or nine, however many is in that residential thermostat, or however many, many times it needs to come on is when it's going to come on. And you did the math on that, the lock rotor amps, the starting, the run time, the cycles on and off, you know, you're going to save money. So really need to consider that. If you're working on a commercial job, you know, sell up, sell them a commercial thermostat. Yeah. Well, well, hopefully as these um, compressors start converting over to the inverter type with the, with the soft startup and the, and the, and the longer run times, because we can maintain like a discharge air temperature or a finer return air temperature with these things, we'll, we'll save a bit of dough that way too. 
Oh yeah, you'll save thirty, forty percent right off yeah. the bat. Yeah. So, yeah. I was gonna I ask... get back to the basics as well, you know, as we were talking, you know, there's there's several things I see technicians missing. Number one, yeah. you know, the simplest thing is filters. Having the right filter sizes in that unit. I see this more than anything in the world. I walk up to a unit and the filter's laying in the, the back of the return, covering up the return duct, especially on a package unit. And, you know, it's not that hard to get the right filter sizes. Um, but filter sizes is one of them. Belts is another one that I see missed a lot. And, of course, coil cleaning. Of course, a lot of these commercial sites don't have access to water. And... Uh, I just recently purchased one of the Speed Clean CJ125s and tried that out. And, uh, I think that would be a good solution for people that are doing like commercial jobs that don't have any water. Yeah. You know, it's better than nothing. Um, and then, you know, another thing I see miss a lot of people missing is the uh, low voltage aspect of it. And, you know, I see uh, transformers. That's one of the big ones. Transformers on the wrong voltage tap. I see that a lot. I, I walk up to a unit and, you know, a unit's having problems is the first thing I look for. You know, it's on the 240 tap and what kind of power we got coming in 208. You know, so I'll move it over. And, and also, too, the, the line the line voltage coming in that transformer, I always try to measure the three legs and find the high leg and, and put one of those legs of that transformer on that high leg. You know, more input means more output. And uh, when we're talking about voltage drop and links and this, that, and other, we need all the voltage we can when it comes to controls. So if we can get the right power to that thermostat and from that thermostat, we're doing good. And another thing I see a lot of people missing, and I don't know why it is here in the States, uh, smoke detectors. I could sell a smoke detector on every other job. Yeah, we, no lie. you don't see a lot of smoke detectors in, in the package sheet units here. Really? No, yeah, you don't see well, it very often. It's, it's code down here, so you know. But I, 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 I see a lot of them missing. A lot of them I don't see how they even got past inspection. But you know, if you if you looked at some of my posts, you'll see a lot of uh, electrical panel issues as well. And you know, it starts there too. I mean, like I said, you can't go in there with blinders on. I fixed a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, I fixed a lot of air conditioning from the electrical panel, and I fixed a lot of air conditioning by running the thermostat wire. While yep. we're talking about thermostat wire, there is an option out there. I don't know if the people listening know about this, but if you got a Home Depot or Lowe's, or I, don't, I don't know what's in Canada. Yeah, we got but, both. Uh, we got both. Oh, you got Lowe's in Canada? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over in the electrical section, they sell, uh, you know, sprinkler wire. It's direct burial, and it comes in different conductors, you know, 10, 8, 7. You know, you can get a 500-foot roll of uh seven conductor for i think like 170 bucks it rolls off real nice and easy it's got a real durable outer shell on it so you can pull it across metal studs uh you about near had to take a knife a pocket knife to uh you know to score it to to uh, peel the wire back but it does have a you know uh, a cord in it to help you peel the wire but it's a really good wire it's real durable anything that's made to go in the ground has got to be better than that brown stuff we're using on the spool I won't tell yeah. you that much. Yeah, I know. I know. Here though, we have to use like a uh, a fire rated uh, thermostat wire, like in, in inside a ceiling space. It's called uh, FT six. Yeah, so yeah. We, we have we, to use that here too if we got plenums. Yeah. For that nature. Yeah, I find it's really brittle. Once you get it outside though, it's brittle as all hell. Like it's it, on a real cold wall. You're probably not experiencing the temperatures that we are, but it's very. If you're outside and it's let's say it's uh minus 30 up here you know what i mean that that would mm -hmm. be like minus i don't know 18 or 19 for you guys maybe um but that wire becomes very very brittle and, and and hard to use and it starts the 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 insulation on the outer casing starts to crack on it so it's a bit oh, yeah, of a pain sure in the i mean yeah. i'll i'll play them rated wire will do that if it's exposed to cold weather yeah you know but unfortunately whenever you're using it in that type of situation you have to use plenum rated wire yeah, or you won't pass. But if if there's any way that you guys could even, if you have the option, and I'm talking to everybody that's listening, if you have the option, go to Lowe's or Home Depot and check it out. Check that wire out. And, uh, it's cheaper than the stuff on the brown spool, but it's a whole lot more durable. Especially when I'm working by myself and I'm having to pull 
hundred foot of thermostat wire, you know, it makes it a whole lot easier. So. Yeah. And and not, one plug, th- not making no plug for Home Depot or Lowe's <laughs> by no means, but <laughs> well, they're they're the two major players in the big box stores, right? So what what other choices do you have? But I, I was gonna say um, when you when you brought up transformers, one thing that that I learned a long time ago, and now most transformers are fused already. But a lot of transformers mm-hmm. we buy back then they weren't fused, and I learned a long time ago, you bet you're gonna use a control transformer, you better fuse that secondary. Because if you got to short oh, yeah. it, especially if you're changing it, um, because it's been shorted out, if if you just mm-hmm. put it in, if you just put it in, guess what? You're going to buy another transformer, and I learned that the hard way because that's what happened to me. So, oh, yeah. guys listening, you buy a transformer, it's not fused for whatever reason. Buy an inline fuse and fuse that thing. And the way I was taught to fuse it or to size the fuse was you take the VA and you and you divide it by by your voltage. So if you have a 75 VA transformer and your voltage is 24 volts you put a three amp fuse in there is that similar exactly. to the way you were taught yeah okay yeah exactly yeah so you that, know, that's and, really and important going back to that going back to that secondary voltage i had a job in uh, right outside of dallas texas that uh, you know my customers sent me on they were tired of paying uh, service calls they yeah. had i don't know probably a dozen in eight months and it was all all dealing with one unit and uh, soon as i went out there and popped the door on that uh, it was a train precedent unit as a matter of fact as soon as i popped the door on it you know the first thing i looked for is that that transformer and uh, sure enough it was on the 240 volt tap and of course the incoming power to the transformer was on the low legs and what i was getting was 19 volts 18.7 and what would happen was um the contactor on compressor two would always short out that's what they were always out there doing they'd go out there and reset the transformer replace contact contact was bad well they went through you know half a dozen contactors in less than a year so you know what would happen is the thermostat would call well this was actually ems or the ems would call for stage one and the fan of course you know it had enough power to pull in the contact for compressor one and the fan and then you know the temperature in the store would actually rise and then it would call for stage two and when it got around to call for stage two, there wasn't enough uh, low voltage power to pull that contactor in. So it'd sit there and chatter and uh, heat up. And next thing you know, the, the contactor itself had failed. So the correction on it was, you know, correcting the output tap and uh, replacing the contact. Of course, it was bad at the time too as well. And moving the incoming power to the high leg. So those are the little things like that that really will trick you up. But you really need to pay attention to low voltage. You know, take those readings. And also, too, take those temperature readings on that compressor. Yep. You know, I, I've seen that so many times. You know, I come from the Burl C. Brown school. You know, a lot of guys don't know what that is, but it's called, uh, he wrote a book called Autopsy on a Compressor. And uh, there's very few of those books still rolling around. I've got one somewhere. What, but, what, uh, what, what's, the, what the, what's the author's name? Sorry. Burl. B U R L yeah. 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 C Brown. Burl B. Brown. Huh. Autopsy Bur- on a compressor. Oh, Burl C. Brown. Okay. How how old is that book? Uh, in, in the 80s, early okay. 80s. Okay, so it's it's basically basically uh, written on like a like a semi-hermetic style compressor. No, it it would cover basically. Burl C. Brown was a genius, and you know, he was a genius when it comes to compression, and he could cover just about anything. You could take four temperatures off a compressor and call him and give him those four temperatures, and he can tell you what's wrong with it over the phone. <laughs> wow. But wow. that type of education and knowledge is long gone, and I don't even know if you can buy the book anymore. You can look online, but I don't know if you can buy the book anymore, but it's really interesting to read if you can ever find it. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hunt for that book now. If you find it, you know, definitely – do something with it, you know, make a blog or something, show us some pages or share the pages because it's really good information. Three temperature readings. He could tell you what was wrong with that compressor, any, any compressor. So I, I learned, this is, this is kind of cool because on the last podcast I did with um, Trevor Matthews, he's from, um, he's from Emerson, but he does a lot of uh, Copeland training. Right. And we talked about how important it was to check discharge line temperature to make sure um, it was not overheating because overheating of a discharge line can tell you a lot of what's going on inside of a system. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I do that just about on every job I go to. I'll, I'll, yeah. I take my little infrared out and I'll shoot the top of that compressor, that discharge line, and see what it says. You know, I like to see it below, uh, at least below 250, but you know, 220, 210, somewhere around there. Yeah, we we uh, we, we, we we talked about the rule of thumb last week of 225 being kind of where where you want to kind of say, hey, there's something going on here, right? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> cool. Awesome. So, but, any, any, uh, anything else you want to touch on before we get going? Well, I, I'd like to touch on one more thing. You know, sure. You know, I come from the R22 era, of course you did too. Yep. Uh, but do you remember back in the day that we used to get our initial charge in the unit, and uh, we would go. Now, a lot of people don't know this, and a lot of new techs won't know this, but uh, I won't throw it out there. We did that initial charge. We would look at that suction pressure mm-hmm. and match that suction pressure with the indoor temp. Okay. And that would get us really, really close. So if it was 70 degrees inside that house or that business and you got that pressure at 70 PSI, that was a good point to start looking at your superheating subcooling. And you can do that today with 410A. You just have to do some uh, pressure temperature chart uh, calculations. Uh, so... It basically, whatever temperature is inside on R22, that's what your suction pressure should be, roughly. Now it gets you a good initial charge. I, that I never, speeds up. Uh, you I was didn't just gonna. I didn't. I had never did it that way. The way uh, we we always did it, kind of opposite. We took well back then the the efficiency of units were were terrible. So it would be three. <laughs> it, it would be 30 degrees above um, the saturated uh, condensing temperature. So if or, or 30 degrees below that i think if so if the outdoor temperature let's say was 70 that's right if the outdoor yeah, temperature was 70 100. yeah we'd look for about 100 uh mm-hmm. saturated condensing temperature that was the way and as efficiency has gotten better that number has dropped right now we're at like like 15 or something like that or 10 oh, depend, yeah. depending on yeah. the efficiency that that was the way that we did it the way you're describing i've never done it that way before so can you go through that one more time if you don't mind well, on R22, this is the way we did our initial charge. So, you know, if we were working on a system, what have you, a new system, we would charge it up and we would start the unit, you know, to the point where it went to, you know, we would weigh the gas in, you know, do the calculations as far as, yep. you know, the line set length and what have you. We'd weigh the gas into the initial charge point, we'd start it up, and we'd watch that suction pressure, and that suction pressure should match your indoor air temperature. Mm-hmm. So if it's 72 inside, it should be 72 psi. 75 right. inside, should be 75 psi. I'm and gonna look, I'm gonna look for that. I'm gonna look for that, man. I never even I never even paid attention to that before. Now, if you try it, you know, like I said, if you if you'll do the calculation, so uh, 70. I don't have a gauge in front of me right now, but 70 psi on R22, what 40 degrees somewhere around there, 38 degrees. So if you take that 38 degrees and you take that 38 degrees and go over to a 410A gauge and whatever that pressure is at that 38 degrees would be the same at that 38 degrees for that 70 PSI and it should be real close between the two refrigerants wow. on indoor air temperature. Hmm. See, that's a good little trick. Now, of course, you know, don't do that you know, and walk away. You know, you still want to check your superheating, subcooling, and do your initial startups and setup and this, that, and other. But, uh, you know, that's a cool little trick to help some of the guys out there. And I, 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 know that. I, as you were speaking there, I think I realized why I've never done that or heard about it is because as I'm working on commercial equipment, I have no idea what the temperature in the space is. Cause I'm on like a roof. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I guess, I guess I'm not, I didn't have my, my probe in the return air duct as I'm charging. But now if I'm in that scenario, now I think I'm going to stick a probe in the return air and check this because that's real interesting to me. I didn't know that. So, so thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you taught, you taught, yeah. You taught me something. So it's real close, but yeah, it's a little neat little trick, you know, but you know, like I said, I can't stress it enough, guys, make sure your cools are clean, your filters are clean, and your belts are tight, and man, I don't know how many package units I walk up onto, and you know, the uh, pulleys turned all the way out, you know, airflow's a killer, you know, I was just on one, one the other day that they cut the CFM by a third, you know, to meet CO requirements so they can get inspection, they've had water leak in their building for seven years and they didn't know why and they kept blaming on the roofers and it was all because the air was stagnant in the duct and it couldn't move 
air fast enough. The air was too cold coming across the evaporator, and uh, we had some infiltration around the duct wrap, and it caused condensation on the bottom of the duct. And uh, it would get to the point where the insulation wouldn't hold it no more. It would just start seeping out onto the ceiling. And, you know, there was numerous roof calls. I ain't no telling how much money was spent on that. But uh, airflow's a killer. Yeah, man. Jesus. Well, for me, I don't know what time it is for you, but it's like uh, 930 here. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> my voice is starting <laughs> to crack. My, my voice usually cracks around this time when I'm doing my podcast. I don't know what it is, but um, I, I got to <laughs> thank you. I got to thank you, man. Like I, I was, I'm actually very impressed um, by this conversation because I, I learned a lot from you and, and man, you are knowledgeable um, about this well, trade. You, you really are Rocky. I was really impressed by your knowledge. Well, I appreciate that. I don't try to be, you know, another thing too, Gary, and you might edit this out or what have you. You know, I'm not saying what I've been doing on the page, you know, as far as healthy topics or what have you. I saw, I saw you comment today on it. You know, um, if that's something you want to take on, that's great because I really don't have time, but I think it's beneficial. We're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of comments, a lot of inter- interaction with other techs and, you know, the young techs are seeing that. So. And you're talking yeah. in, in regards to a sight glass, right? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, today the sight yeah. glass, and yesterday it was, um, you know, filter dryer. Uh, it was a you know, suction filter dryer and acid away. And it's t- keeping it simple, but there's a lot of stuff out there that us techs, even us older techs, we do things, but we don't know why we do the things we do. And the young techs, you know, they're 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 starving for knowledge. And you know, the simple stuff, man. It's you know, filter selection, I think that's going to be my tomorrow topic is filter selection. I'm going to have three or four different filters on there and see what people think about it and try to get opinions and try to come up with a conclusion. But, you know, it's to a point where, you know, these guys, they, they need a foundation. And, and uh, if we can get a foundation universally in the trade, then, you know, there's no reason why that our trade shouldn't succeed. Uh, going forward so but it's up to us old guys to do that Pass yeah knowledge on. <laughs> Try to do I, it. I, I wanted to bring up um, the sight glass just quickly before we go I have touched on this in the past um, on Facebook and maybe even on Instagram but I love sight glasses and a lot of guys bash them because they don't think they're needed but you know what if you're a service tech and you don't appreciate appreciate the information that a sight glass is telling you then maybe mm-hmm. you need maybe you need to move along because the more information you have as a tech that's trying to troubleshoot, the better, right? It, oh, it, yeah. it, you you can see. I mean, don't always assume that because the glass is full, it's a full charge, and don't always assume because it's flashing, it's low on gas. We can't oh, we can't exactly. we, we 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 can't always make those assumptions. We we still have to check, but the sight glass doing different things like when a hot gas bypass valve opens up, um, you're going to have flashing in your sight glass, right? A lot of guys oh, yeah. make, may go up to that and go, hey, that thing's short of gas. I'm just going to start jamming gas into it. Then they overcharge the piss out of it. They don't realize <laughs> that the hot gas bypass valve is sticking open, and that's what's causing this flashing mm-hmm. flashing to happen. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff we could talk about on and on forever, but, I mean, maybe we, we'll, we'll have to do this again and, and – uh, we can do a, do a two-parter on the basics here, for sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this much about sight glass, and I'll, I'll, I'll hurry up with that. You know, uh, underground houses. You know, if you live in a house underground, you don't have any windows. You know, but if you live in a house above ground, I'm sure you want windows. Well, yep. you're talking about a different world. If I want to look in that, if I want to look into the refrigeration world of the unit I'm working on, why not put a sight glass? Yep. I've of course. More equipment. I fix more refrigeration problems by adding a sight glass to a system that other techs that other techs have misdiagnosed and uh, actually manipulating the system, uh, closing service valves, doing this, that, and other, heat pumps, opening, you know, energizing, uh, reversing valves, and what have you, and seeing what that refrigerant was doing in that liquid line. I fix more stuff that way than I, I wouldn't have fixed those units if I didn't have a sight glass put it to you like that. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, don't don't throw anything out of your toolbox. Don't throw anything out. Be open-minded and uh, 
Another thing, too, if you put sight glass in, especially put it outside, don't lay it flat. You know, lay it on an angle so that water doesn't build up on it. It'll run off on it because, you know, those caps don't stay on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, that water will discolor that glass. And on some of the other ones that, you know, have a steel base, they'll rust out and what have you. So, you know, just take a little pride in your work. And, you know, um, man, i tell you another thing, too, man, climb up on these roofs. You know, you're up there on that unit and you need one tie wrap and you're like, oh, I don't need it. <laughs> you just button down and leave. Yeah. Just, just go on down the roof, go on down the ladder, go get you a tie wrap and do it. You know, we 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 try to justify things. We we, 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 the more time we spend complimenting, comp, contemplating on why we shouldn't do something, we could already had it done several times. So, you know, just take the extra five minutes. Yeah, man. I got, I, I got, Hey, I got it's me, me and you drive quite well here. Cause I got a podcast called, um, it takes five minutes to be a better tech. I believe that's the name of it. And, uh, really? it, it, that, that's all, that's, that's all it's about. You, you spend five minutes at the end of the job, you check, you check your nuts and bolts. You you make sure your your uh, wire nuts are on correctly, and all your zip ties are nice and tight and in line. That's that's what it's about. The podcast. Just make sure when you leave, you've done that five minute check, and I guarantee you, your callback rate will drop like a stone, guaranteed. Oh yeah, make sure those disconnects are on. Yeah. <laughs> big thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. I know I know it's you know it's getting late, so but anyway, it's good talking to you, and uh, oh, I really appreciate you reaching out to me. I think it's an honor and privilege to you know be a guest on your podcast show. I'm I'm nobody, you know. I don't oh, claim oh, to be anybody. Oh, and, oh, you're you're definitely somebody, man. With with the the amount of knowledge you have and and the customers that pay you to drive hours and hours away from from where they are to to come and repair yeah. their stuff, you're you're somebody, man. <laughs> don't put your yourself down <laughs> like that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, you're uh, an extremely knowledgeable man and, and you got to come back on this podcast at some other point. We can, we can do this again. All right, Gary. I appreciate it. Thank okay. you so much. Okay. Rocky, you have a great night, man. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Goodbye. I told you Rocky was a smart dude, didn't I? Well, you can tell by that conversation, how smart he is, the way he rhymes stuff off the top of his head. Um, I don't know one one company, one company in this trade that has a customer that will pay them to drive a day and a half out to their site and then fix the equipment properly and, and be allowed to receive an invoice for that. That's crazy talk, but that's just a testament to Rocky and his business and what he's built for himself. So, Rocky, you're doing some great things out there in the world of HVAC and refrigeration. Keep it up, man, because you're doing you're doing some awesome stuff. I was so glad, so happy that I, I messaged him on Instagram and got him on the podcast because that was a great conversation. And you know it's great when you kind of forget that you're recording a podcast because that's that that's really the way I like it. When I'm talking to a guest on the on the program, I really want to have a relaxed conversation and kind of forget the fact that we're going to be publishing it for everybody else to hear because when we're relaxed and we're kind of speaking from the heart and and we're kind of just getting our feelings off our chest about this industry, the way it should be, the way we operate within the industry, the way others should operate in the industry and, and kind of the teaching aspect. When we do that and we do it kind of in a, in a low a laid back, low key environment like like on this podcast, it kind of makes for good content, and and I forget sometimes we're recording, and and I'm sure the guests do sometimes as well. So, guys, thank you very much for listening. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast, guys. You guys have a great day. Be safe. Happy HVACing.